Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I wasn't very old when I first saw it. Maybe about five or six or so. It was a long time ago, but I remember it well. For what feels like the longest time, the whole experience of it felt like a dream. Like it never really happened, just a little imagination in my head. A half-forgotten memory. Hell, maybe it didn't happen. I can't remember exactly where the place was, just what it looked like. As the same with the people there. No face or name I could say now. And maybe they weren't even there, just additions by time to the memory, slowly changing the devils and the details. But they don't matter much, they never did. What did matter was the Kelpie. It was summer, I was playing near the bayou not too far from my grandmother's house. I'd been sent there to spend the duration of the warm season. My mother thought it was good to breathe fresh, humid air instead of the city smog. And my summer that year was spent with my grandmother down south. She was a fierce old lady, second generation from Scotland. Often she would tell wonderful tales of the lochs and forests from her parents' homeland. About all the creatures that lived within the waters, and all the ones that lived in the trees... One of my favorites was the Selkie, beautiful seal women who would change shape at will as they sunned on the rocks or swam in the sea. Another one was a more ferocious beast, but also quite interesting to me. My grandmother said that they could take the form of a singing woman, where they would lure sailors into the ocean and drown them in the salt water when they got close like sirens. The one I loved most, though, was the unicorn. Such a majestic, mysterious creature. I liked how pure it was told to be. I'd always had a desire to see one, to touch its pure white coat. But I knew they weren't real. They were just stories, just tales. But I liked to pretend. One day I went down to the bayou to catch a fish, I was very proud of myself having made a pole from a stick and some string. My grandmother laughed and said if I caught a fish, she would cook it for me. I became very determined to the task. I told her I would be back before sundown. I waited at the banks of the water, legs crossed and pole in hand. There was a small bit of uncooked bacon at the end of the line, and I knew I was going to catch a fish. I just knew it, and just then my train of thought and concentration was broken by music. Someone was playing a fiddle. The sound was so enchanting, and I looked around for the source. 
Not finding one, I tried to follow the sound. Abandoning the pole on the bank with the line still in the water, I quietly crept along the bank, walking until I found the source of the music. I found who was playing the fiddle. It was a young man sitting on a branch of a large tree. The limb hung just above the water, and the young man lay against it, suspended over the mirror-like surface, playing a tune to his wooden fiddle. The white string seemed to glow in the faint morning light. He stopped when he saw me, and he smiled. No words came between us, but he beckoned for me with his hand to take a seat on the mossy bank, and he continued to play. The music was wonderful, and when the song ended, I asked for him to play another. He nodded, but only if I went into the water. Now my mother had been very keen with me to keep out of the water. I couldn't swim at the time, and she made me promise to stay on the bank. So I removed my shoes and let my legs dangle in the cool, calm water, and he played another song. When he finished, he beckoned with his hand again for me to come closer, deeper into the water, like he was going to tell me a secret and whisper it in my ear. I shook my head. I had made a promise, and the young fiddler seemed sad, disappointed even. Now I can't quite remember the details of his face, but I can just remember his frown. He sighed and rolled off the branch and into the dark water without a splash. Just a few small ripples came from where he entered the bayou. He never came out of the water, and after that, I went back to the house as my grandmother called my name. First, I ran to get my pole, and a tiny minnow was at the end of the paper clip hook. I almost told my grandmother about the young fiddler, but I didn't. She would just think it strange and say it was nonsense. But the next day, I went back again to the bayou banks, fishing pole in hand. I said to my grandmother I would catch a bigger fish. I told her I would be back before sundown. I went back to my spot and sat cross-legged, pole in hand. There was a small cut of deer on the hook. I sat and waited for a fish to bite, my thoughts trailing off about my grandmother's stories. They were stopped by the sound of laughter. It was a girlish laughter, light and soft. I was curious. Usually the bayou was so lonely, just the call of faraway birds and the hum of cicadas. But the laughter broke through it, right into my head. I followed the sound, leaving my pole on the bank and the line in the water, and moving silently I walked along the bank. In the same place with the low-hanging tree limb was where I found the source of the laughter. That small, watery grove seemed just a little different. A large gray rock sat in the middle of the water, emerging from the deep. I hadn't noticed it before, and possibly I just hadn't remembered it from when I met the young fiddler. Sitting on the rocks were three young girls. They looked a few years older than me. All of them had long, dark hair that swayed around them like thousands of silk strings. 
Hearing them laugh made me happy, and I don't really know why. I got closer and sat on the bank to watch them. The girls were as beautiful as the selkies and the tales my grandmother had told me. They all had fair skin that seemed to glow in the dimmed bayou light, and one of them met her dark eyes with mine. She beckoned with a finger towards me. She wanted me to come and play. I wanted to. They seemed as though they were having such a fun time up on the rock there. I took off my shoes and rolled up my pant legs. I waded in up to my knees, and my feet sunk slightly in the silty mud. But looking down into the water, I remembered. I couldn't swim. I sadly stood there, sorrowful that I could not join these new friends. And one by one, they slid effortlessly into the water and swam towards me. Only their eyes visible above the water with their hair flowing behind them. They swam around my legs, barely disturbing the water. And one pulled gently at my leg, another at my hand. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I shook my head. I couldn't. Disappointed, they sighed dismally and let go of my hand and left, slipping away like the water they swam in. Their sighs were almost musical, as melodic as they were. Now, I didn't want them to go, and I almost swam in after them, but I heard my grandmother call my name. I went to get my pole, and a small fish was at the end of my line. Now, I almost told my grandmother about the Bayou Sulky girls, but I didn't. I felt like they were mine somehow, like a secret that only I would know. The following day, I set out again. I was going to get a bigger fish. I had to. This was my last day in the bayou. I was going home the following day. I told my grandmother I would be back before sundown and went to the bank to fish. There was a small strip of gator meat at the end of my makeshift hook. I gazed out into the dark, still water. It seemed almost dead. Lovely, but dead. A metallic blue dragonfly landed on the water, took a sip, and flew off. I watched it fly. My attention was then turned to a most unusual noise. Hooves and a neigh. There were no horses in the bayou, so I started to wonder. I put my pole down on the bank and let the line sit in the water. I followed the sounds of the braying horse, and yet again I came to that same place. The willows hung low, the tree limb sat just above the water, and the rock was empty of any selkie girls. Standing by the tree on a small island bank in the middle of the water was a unicorn. It didn't have a horn, much to my disappointment, but there it was, a pure white horse. It pawed at the ground with long furrowed hooves, 
Its mane was elegant and shiny, and it seemed to glow, just like the selkie's girl's skin and the young man's fiddle strings. It was beautiful, even if it may not have been a unicorn as the bayou girls were not selkies. It looked towards me and waved its head up and down. It was calling me to it, and without hesitation, I got into the water. I didn't even take my shoes off, and I stood knee-deep. The white horse trotted into the water and began to swim to me. I hoped it would play with me on the banks, or at least in the shallows. It stopped, though, just a little further out from where I was. It could stand there, but then again it was much bigger than me. The water couldn't be too deep over there, could it? It looked towards its back. It was offering me a ride, and in my excitement I forgot all about my grandmother's words and went deeper into the water, up to my chest, then my shoulders. The water felt suffocating as it went higher and higher, and I felt like my lungs were being crushed under the pressure of it. I held my hand out to the white horse. It was still just out of reach, and I took another step and the water was to my chin. My fingers brushed over its silky mane. Water weeds had collected in it, giving it green flecks here and there. I went to touch it again, and this time, though, it felt more sticky, like tape or glue. And looking down into the water, the white horse had lost its glow. It seemed more gray, darkening the further down it went until it was almost black. Maybe it was just the water. And then my foot slipped. I went down into the water, opening my eyes in panic. I was horrified at what I saw in front of me. Where the white horse's belly and legs would have been, I only saw smooth, black, decaying flesh. Water weeds strewn in and out of it. The back legs fused together in a slowly fanning tail. It was like something out of a nightmare. I immediately stepped back, my movement slowed by the water. I turned around and my head broke the surface as I reached the shallows. I scrambled onto the bank and looked back, and the white horse was gone. I felt a relief, although I deeply missed the white horse, and I wondered where had it gone. I heard my grandmother call my name. In my soaked and muddy clothes, I ran by my fishing pole. A large catfish was at the end of the hook. I left both and hurried back to my grandmother's house. Now I told my grandmother about the white horse. I really did this time. I left out the sulky girls and the young fiddler from my story, and I did not mention the nature of me falling into the water. But I asked her about a white horse in the water, and she told me a tale about a kelpie. It was a water demon that often took the shape of a beautiful white horse, among others such as a handsome man playing a violin or a young maiden. It would offer a ride to anyone willing, then take them into the water and drown them. Nothing would ever be found of them. And that night I forced myself to go back there. I needed to see if it was real, 
and by the light of my torch, I followed the path I had taken as I had searched for the source of sound. But after hours of searching, I could not find it. No green willows, no low-hanging tree limb, no rock. I went back home the next day, happy to be away, yet desperate to go back. But I never did. Until recently. My grandmother had died about a month before. It had been years since I had seen her, in fact. She had visited only once since the time I spent a summer with her. I traveled back down to the bayou, back to her home to pack up her things and to sell the house, and I'd nearly forgotten those three days down at the banks of that bayou. The whole summer had been a blur that year, but going there brought those memories back, and for so long, I had dismissed it as a dream or some dull event of meeting other people. A man playing an instrument, some girl swimming in the water, an animal on another bank, perhaps a deer, or a white goat that had just lost its way. Nothing out of the ordinary for the South. Maybe it was just my imagination that I saw a white horse and pet its mane. But to reassure myself of this childhood nonsense, I decided to go and take just one little look that morning. I would be back before sundown. I found my old fishing spot. My pole was still there somehow, as if I had just recently left it. I had found the carcass of the catfish I had left there years before, and I tossed it into the water. Curious. And then I heard the music, fiddle music, and laughter, and the sound of a horse. I followed it and I found that same place, the place where the willows and low-hanging tree limb and the rock and the opposite bank with the tree. But once I got there, though, all the music and laughter was gone. The tree limb sat empty over the water, the rock isolated and alone. On the opposite bank was the white horse, the Kelpie. It shook its head and beckoned me over. Something seemed strange, not quite right, out of place. But against my better judgment, I took off my shoes and I stepped into the water. Faintly, I could hear hissing and a quiet screeching noise. It sounded like it was coming from the water. I ignored the sounds and went deeper into the bayou, and finally, it was getting too deep to stand. As I kicked off the bottom, my foot hit something sharp. I don't think it bled though, so I continued across the water without a thought. I couldn't shake the feeling that something was under me, swimming, maybe even multiple somethings. I climbed onto the bank. And as I got close, the Kelpie kneeled. It was offering me a ride. And I remembered what my grandmother had said about these offered rides. I took a box knife from my back pocket and held it behind my back, just in case. Opening the blade, I stepped closer and hesitantly put a hand on the magnificent beast. Its white fur was soft and felt like water in my hands. I told myself I shouldn't. I had one of those feelings that you get going into a dark, 
tunnel or an alleyway. You know it could be dangerous, and it most likely is, but you still have to go. I sheathed the knife and sat atop the white horse. It stood and pranced in a circle. I laughed, and oh, how I had wished I had done this years ago. And looking up, I saw the young fiddler laying on the low-hanging tree limb. He plucked a string and began to play. He had a handsome face with shaggy blonde hair hidden under a hat. His clothes looked old, like he was from the Wild West. And the three Bayou Selkie girls came out of the water and lay atop the rock, laughing and brushing out of the water weeds with their fingers. I noticed their faces this time. Soft, delicate features with shining dark eyes and smiling mouths. They all seemed so happy. And I started to feel the same. A large grin was stuck on my face. Though after a moment... That was replaced with a feeling of sickness. Worryment. I had a deep ache in my stomach. I was scared, but of what? I tried to lift my hand from the white horse's neck. I wanted to get off. I wanted to swim to the other bank and run away from this place. But my hand wouldn't move. I pulled at it with my other free hand, but it was stuck. Like it had been glued and I watched in horror as the white horse's coat began to gray before my eyes, becoming darker and darker, and finally, it became an oily black. Light shined off of it in different colors. It turned its head towards me, and no longer was this the beautiful creature I'd seen across the bank. It was a monster. The Kelpie. Its eyes were blue and clouded, and I could see its jagged teeth through a decayed mouth. A long greenish-black tongue lapped out of its jaws. The Kelpie's skin started to become a sickly black goo, engulfing my hand and surrounding my legs. I called for help from the young fiddler and the sulky girls, but it was like they didn't notice me shouting at them, and when they finally did look at me, I realized that they were not as they seemed. No longer were the sulky girls beautiful and young. Their skins were green and rotting. One of them was missing an eye. They gazed lazily at me with tilted heads, as if they were frowning at me with disappointment from their retracted lips and bare teeth, at my fateful decision to ride the Kelpie. The young fiddler... His clothes torn and half of his face peeled away, plucked a few sad notes before his skin began to bubble and turn black, and the sulky girls did the same. Slowly, they all dissolved, bone and flesh, into the same black goo of which the sulky was made. Gradually, they dripped into the water and dissipated like ink, becoming underwater smoke. As soon as they were gone, the Kelpie leapt into the water with me on its back. As it dove deeper, I tried to pull away. The melting black Kelpie skin was slowly crawling up my legs and chest, and I was running out of air. I grabbed the box cutter from my pocket, and I cut at the Selkie's decaying flesh, 
It screeched and looked at me with its dead eyes. I saw my own reflection in them. It was angry. It was in pain. And it looked ready to bite. I slashed at it again and it bit me just inches away from my face. At this point I had freed my legs. As I tried to cut away the black flesh around my arm and hand, the kelpie jerked and changed direction, causing the box cutter to dig into my arm. Silently screaming, I watched in horror as the last of my air escaped towards the surface. I cut at it again, and I was free. At a small glimpse, I noticed I was at the bottom. There were bones down there, human bones, and in that short look, I counted at least four skulls. The kelpie screamed and swam off into the dark water as I pulled myself to the surface. I gasped and coughed as my face was touched by the warm and humid bayou air. I looked around. Nothing was moving. Everything was dead silent, and I noticed a small ripple a few meters away. It got closer and closer, and then it disappeared. Only a second passed before I felt something grab my ankle and yank me back under the water. I was being dragged back down. The Kelpie seemed insistent that I never make it back to the banks. I opened my eyes to see myself face to face with the Kelpie. Its black mane flowed around me, and below me, the sulky girls were grasping at my ankles. I jabbed the knife forward into the Kelpie's eye. It screamed again, such an inhuman noise that it made my ears feel as though they were about to bleed. I no longer felt the hands grasping at my legs. The grip around my ankle was gone. The Kelpie, screaming, swam away, the box cutter still in its eye, and I swam back to the water's surface. Quickly paddling my way back to the bank, I hoped that the Kelpie would not come after me for revenge. As I reached the silty shallows, I slowly walked forward, holding my freely bleeding arm, blood dripping into the water from my fingertips. I crawled up onto the mossy bank and lay on my back for a moment, catching my breath. I sat up and tore away the water weeds that had wrapped around me on my way to the bottom of the bayou. My legs were covered in mud up to my knees, blackening the ends of my rolled up jeans. I looked around, and it was nearly night somehow. The sun was gone and the first few stars had begun to shine in the darkening sky. The quiet and beautiful lagoon had changed in appearance, just like creatures that inhabited it. The rock was mossy, crumbling, and cracked. The low-hanging tree limbs sat broken and sticking up out of the water. And all the willows were dead, their leaves decaying upon the ground in clumps. The rest of the trees looked sickly as well. Nothing here was healthy or alive. I backed further away from the water. My hand touched something smooth. And looking behind me, I saw the remnants of a polished fiddle. It looked broken, untouched for years. And then, further away, I saw the remnants of three colorful beach towels. They were just 
bare threads now. The skeletons of fish were around every discarded item, and looking closer into the weeds, I noticed more. Dozens of things left behind by those who rode the Kelpie. Now I never went back to the bayou, as I sold my grandmother's house to a happy family from upstate New York, and I handed them the keys. I warned them not to get too close to the waters. There might be gators, and as I got into my car and started to drive away, I watched as a little boy tugged at his mother's sleeve, saying, I'm going to the bayou, just have a look. I'll be back before sundown, and I drove away, my heart giving an empty ache for the mother of that little boy. Yes, I told myself, he'll be back before sundown. <laughs>